Miami. Deep pattern downfield, touchdown Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and we've got a fun show for you today. Extension season is here. Jerome Baker has signed a three-year contract extension with the Miami Dolphins. We'll cover the player, the person, the leadership, and everything Jerome exudes. We'll go back to his media from Friday and also hear from Coach Flores and wide receiver Will Fuller and a whole lot more on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. So we talk about playing the hits on this show all the time, and that's the message today. And the hit is the news of the weekend. The Dolphins and linebacker Jerome Baker have agreed on a three-year contract extension. And you recall Jerome was part of the 2018 class that includes Mike Gesicki, Durham Smythe, all-pro kicker Jason Sanders, who got his extension earlier this this year, I should say, and a draft pick that would later become starting left tackle, Austin Jackson, and of course, linebacker Jerome Baker, a player who quickly evolved into one of the leaders on the team, both in terms of the weight that his voice carries, but also in terms of sheer volume of playing time. Go back to when Jerome was drafted in 2018, a third rounder out of Ohio State, Remember that clip of him tailing Saquon Barkley stride for stride up the sideline on a wheel route and coverage in the Ohio State-Penn State game in 2017. And then, of course, he timed well in Indianapolis at the scouting combine. And I remember him covering Bears running back Tariq Cohen on an angle route, which is just difficult for linebackers to pick up on because you widen the linebacker, you cross back across the face, you have to have lateral agility and straight line speed to handle a player like Tariq Cohen. And I want to say it was Greg Jennings, I think was the color commentator on the game that day. And he said, this is why you draft Jerome Baker to run with all those speedy mismatched backs and tight ends in the modern pass heavy NFL game that we've come to know and love in 2021. And that was true, and it still is true, but Jerome has taken a considerable leap in his role from that rookie campaign. You go to his first season under Coach Brian Flores in 2019, he wore the green dot on the back of the helmet, the defensive communication helmet. He played 1,080 snaps and over 1,200 snaps that year if you count special teams, which we do because it's a big aspect of the game. And he was just a tick under 1,000 snaps this year combined, and that included work on special teams, though the number did go down in 2020 to about 25 total snaps from a little over 100 in that 2019 season. But the best part about his 2020 season was that you'd assume that less snaps coincides with less production, but the opposite of that happened. He became an even more efficient player. He set career highs in sacks with seven and tackles for loss also with seven. QB hits with 11. QB pressures from pro football focus with 18. The 9.2 yards per reception was a career low, a career best, however you say that, per pro football focus. A career best with an 86.2 passer rating allowed in coverage this season. He matched his career high with two forced fumbles. He added three more passes defensed. His career high was four in 2019. And he still made 112 total tackles, which was just 14 shy of that 2019 season, but a higher tackle per snap played rate. So he has improved every year of his career. And over his three years, 311 tackles, 199 of those solo 
11 and a half sacks, two picks, 10 passes defense, and four forced fumbles. His 311 tackles are sixth among all players selected in that 2018 class. And all five of those players with more tackles than Baker were chosen prior to him at the 73rd pick to the Miami Dolphins. And you know what? He's only 24 years old. He turns 25 on Christmas Day. So you consider that rapid development occurring in his early 20s that makes it all the more impressive and you can see why he was a priority to get done with his contract extension before training camp. And the impact plays are the ones that I really want to dig into here because that's where I think the biggest jump happened for Jerome this season or this past season, I should say. He's been consistent in the areas that just don't get anywhere near the same pop as the takeaway and sack numbers. You've heard Coach talk about the flash numbers are great, and that's what everyone sees, but we want to talk about the 1,000 snaps, the consistent down-in, down-out work of a player. And I can go back to 2019 and find clips of him knifing into the backfield and blowing up a Chargers fullback, for instance, en route to a tackle for loss. I can find clips where he anticipates a run, whether he's finding his keys from motion, the pulling guard, whatever the exact keys are, I can't identify them exactly because I'm not Jerome out there seeing it. But you can see so much anticipatory work in his game, even from that young age. And how about that sack last year of Patrick Mahomes? A 30-yard loss is essentially a turnover when you consider the roughly 40 or so gross yards the top punters in the game get. And I think that play showcased Jerome's best skill set from a tangible standpoint in the athletic ability. Emmanuel Ogba comes free off of his edge and forces Mahomes to spin the other direction. And then he's in a foot race with Baker who changes direction to beat Mahomes to the edge and gets him to the ground for that big loss and sets up a big fourth down, which Miami would cash in on the ensuing drive. And you see that skill set in his coverage too. There was a crucial, absolutely crucial third down stop in the Vegas game last year in week 16 where Derek Carr broke contain and Baker had to plaster to the back who initially had kind of stopped his route in anticipation of the play being over because it looked like it was going to be a sack. Carr gets out, he continues, and that stuff is really, really tough to do because it's sandlot football and you have to keep up with someone you know just as shifty and agile as you are. It's a tough ask. And Jerome can do that. So he's got the physical, he's got the mental, the versatility, the team first mindset. I shared the clip of him putting pressure on Jared Goff and getting to the quarterback's arm as he's throwing the ball. And that ball would get intercepted by safety Eric Rowe. And I just love that play because Jerome looks back, he sees the ball fluttering, he sees it come down in his guy's hands just as the quarterback is going down. And he throws a massive fist pump to celebrate. And it shows you that selflessness of we don't care who gets the credit or the stat, we just want to play winning football. And that mentality is one that Jerome exudes. And we recently heard from Dolphins linebackers coach Anthony Campanelli on Jerome Baker and what's next for him in terms of taking the next step and what he brings to the field, both from a physical standpoint, but also the preparation and intelligence and work habits that Jerome Baker brings. Baker uh, is a guy, like I've said in, in some of these uh, media meetings or gatherings in the past, um, who's really a, a great guy to coach because he's an extremely bright guy. Um you know, he understands football concepts really, really well, and, and those things come easy to him. Um, just his, his level of study, I feel, has continuously improved uh, over time here, over my time here, and he's been really, really diligent in the classroom. Um, his technique on the field uh, in a lot of, in, in various ways, uh, has improved. And uh, we're hopeful that he'll continue to do that. And I know he will because it's important to him. Um, 
just from, you know, in the run game and the pass game, he's, uh, and even in pass rush, he's, he's really made improvements in a lot of ways. And we're just hopeful to, to do that, just like everybody else, hopefully to get better uh, every day. And you hear coach there talking about how smart Jerome is and the time he puts into making himself a smarter football player. Like we talk about the, the intelligence, you don't just show up and be intelligent on the football field. It's all about preparation and the time you put into it and how valuable that is in a system that wants to be so multiple because Jerome defines multiplicity in so many ways with the way that he can play off the ball, mug up in the A gaps, play off the edge, play off a stack, play man coverage, zone drop. I mean, having a guy that can plant you can just plant him out there for 900 to a thousand snaps in a season and you know there's always going to be a role for him and what you want to do it's just so so valuable and I also like that he gets his deal done first in that as we mentioned very impressive 2018 linebacker class with Darius Leonard Fred Warner Roquan Smith and Tremaine Edmonds I mean that is a stacked stacked linebacker class you talk about your modern day football players and some very good company for Jerome to keep so the way Jerome's speed as we talked about with the Patrick Mahomes sack the way that speed impacts the game I think is a good correlation to those impact plays we have covered here it creates urgency in everything that he does which as a byproduct forces the offense to make urgent decisions and as coach Flores talked about this offseason having speed on the field is a benefit to the offense and that means you need speed on defense too to match that right and also Chris Greer mentioned this offseason an emphasis on playmakers on both sides of the ball. And Jerome has ball production every single year since he came into the league with the four forced fumbles, the two picks, the 10 passes defensed, and the aforementioned pressures that result in takeaways. It's not technically ball production, but 11 and a half sacks too. That's nothing to scoff at in three years for a player like Jerome Baker. And Coach Campanelli also talked about Jerome's speed last year and how when he's up on the line of scrimmage, he's stretching the offensive line out and how his speed is evident in those rush situations. So again, you see the impact this player has on the field. But he's also an impact guy in the most important area you can be, in the community. And last summer, I talked with Jerome on a feature podcast here on Drive Time. And we covered some of his work with Dolphins Unites and handing out backpacks to kids here at local schools. And back in his hometown of Cleveland, the organization that his father, Jerome Sr., co-founded called Men of Central, which has a focus on providing a positive adult male mentor in the lives of kids in the Central neighborhood there in Greater Cleveland. And so Junior, Jerome Baker Jr., is a leader in the community. And he's a leader on the football field. And we're going to get here to Coach Flores's media from Friday in just a moment, but I want to cut in on it right here because Coach talked about leadership and the different forms of leadership. Let's go ahead and listen in. I, mean, I think it's different. It's different for each each individual. Um, I think I'm going to lead differently than you would, or or uh, Safed would, or you know Armando or Kyle. I mean, it's it's everyone's a little bit different. Some people are are more outgoing and uh, you know louder. Some people are you know by example. Some people uh, say nothing, and then when they speak, people listen. I mean, I think it's there's there's different types of leaders, and they come in all. Uh, it's not like a, it's not a one size fits all. And it's not a one size fits all. So I wanted to ask Jerome about that quote from coach and what his approach to leadership is. Um, for me, ever since I was young, it, it always been the same. I lead by example. Um, and, and I kind of just do what the team needs me to do. If it's if you need me to be the guy that yells today, I'll be that guy. If you just need me to be that guy's lead by example, I'll be that guy. Um, but ultimately, I think I, I'm just a lead by example guy. I just try to do the right things. You know, I try to do what's best for the team, and uh, that's always been my approach. Um, and I don't see it changing anytime soon, and uh, I think that's what got me here this far. 
And before that question, he was asked if he could see himself playing in Miami for a long time. And here was Jerome's response. Oh, yeah. I want to play here for the rest of my career. I love it here. I love the fans. I love the organization. I love everybody here. Uh, yeah, I definitely see myself playing for a long time. You see the hat? You see it? He's talking about his bucket hat there. It's a it's a gorgeous bucket hat, Aqua Dolphins bucket hat that he had on practice. And his all Aqua garb there as he met with the media. And earlier, he was asked by a reporter why it was important for him to be out here for OTAs at this time of the summer. And here's Jerome's answer that I want to play because I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I love this team. I love being out here. Um, I, I just love just being on this team. And uh, just being out here, getting back to football, uh, it ultimately helps me you know, in the long run. So I honestly just miss being out there with all the guys, um, especially all the the personalities we have, the new guys, uh, and just ultimately just learning um, and getting better. So I, I love to play football. And that's honestly, um, while I'm out here, that's what I love to do. And I just want to want our team to get better. And just to quickly recap the rest of the presser, he also talked about how it is easier to lead and get guys to buy in and to develop that trust because of the types of players the Dolphins have brought in in terms of players who are like him that love being around the game. I mean, you heard him talk about it there about how he's out here because he just loves the camaraderie, loves getting to know the personalities, and loves being on the football field. A very good media availability there with Jerome. I would highly recommend going back and checking it out on our YouTube page as you can find the rest of all those media availabilities on the Miami Dolphins YouTube page. And the final soundbite I want to provide for you guys here on Jerome Baker with a new three-year contract extension comes from March of last year when I talked to former Dolphins linebacker Channing Crowder, my co-host at the draft party at Hard Rock Stadium and co-host of the Hawkman and Crowder show on 560 here locally in South Florida. Here's Channing talking about his favorite player on the Miami Dolphins in Jerome Baker and talking about the Dolphins scheme in that first year under Brian Flores and what he liked about it. Here's what he had to say about the Dolphins newest extended linebacker Jerome Baker. He put Jerome Baker in the middle of everything and try to keep him unblocked to let Jerome run because Jerome's fast. He'd slide him to the tight end, pull guys down the box. And when I saw, uh, not Jerome, Channing rather, at the draft party back in April, I asked him about, hey, what'd you think about Jerome's 2020 season after you were so impressed with 2019? He said he just got even better at the things he was already doing. So there you have it. Some takes from the coaching staff, an ex-linebacker, plenty of content there on Jerome Baker. And like Leonardo DiCaprio in The Wolf of Wall Street, Jerome's not leaving. Three-year extension. And a big congrats to Jerome Baker out there. Hopefully, this brings you one step closer to finding mama. All right, we have more to get to here. I want to get to the other player that spoke at media on Friday, and that was wide receiver Will Fuller. And after Will gave me so many good sound bites and interesting answers in the podcast back in March when he signed with the Dolphins, I thought, why don't we just ask Will about how much fun he's having being back on a football field, hasn't played a game since last Thanksgiving, and then obviously this is his first time back with the Dolphins at voluntary camp here last week. So he talked about how much fun it is and how it feels great to be back on the field and just hearing play calls, moving around, competing a little bit, and just thinking football stuff on the field. He said it feels good to be back out there. And then I followed up by asking about how's the process of getting to know your new teammates in terms of camaraderie building. And he said it's more about putting names to faces right now and just showing his face there and letting people know who he is, talking to as many people as he can. So it's kind of like first day of school, getting to know everybody, all your new teammates, and he's enjoying the process so far. And one thing Span will love to hear was he talked about how the Dolphins do have speed on this team. Said you can't teach speed and we have it. It's not just me and Wallow. There are other players with speed too. It's going to be fun. We'll see. We're going to do what the coaches ask of us and we're going to be playing fast and make some stuff happen. 
And I want to finish up with Will Fuller's media availability here with a quote from Fuller talking about the process of coming to Miami and why he did want to sign with the Dolphins in free agency. Yeah, so I mean, this is my first free agency. So I, I just took I, I just took it as, you know, I wanted to go to a team that wanted me. You know, the, the Dolphins showed, showed the most interest. So that's, that's why I chose the Dolphins. And, um, you know, ever since I've been here, it's been great. You know, I love the culture here. You know, um, you know it's just been easy to be here. And, and, you know, like I said, I've been in the building as much as I can. And I enjoy being here. So, um, you know, I'm happy that the Dolphins, you know, decided to take a chance on me. And so there's Will talking about getting to Miami and enjoying the process and experience so far. And we've covered a lot of his game here on the podcast in terms of what he brings to the offense and the speed and the underneath route running and the 80th plus percentile and win rate on certain routes run. We went back and covered some stuff with Matt Harmon from receptionperception.com and he tracks a lot of stuff for fantasy purposes and for NFL purposes as well. Used to work at NFL media before he broke off and did his own thing. And we had him on to preview the pass catchers in the 2021 draft class. But I wanted to, of course, start with Will Fuller and talk about his game and what he brings to the Dolphins offense. I want to go ahead and play that audio for you guys here. When you look at him, even on a year-by-year basis, he'd always been a really strong separator in reception perception. You know, I break things down not only by success rate versus man zone press coverage, but also by individual routes. You know, he'd always had a really good – and if people go to receptionperception.com and they sign up for the site, they can see not only uh, Will Fuller's 2020 season, but go compare it to his 2019 season as well, which I think is really useful because it shows you – even if you don't get the 2020 version of the player, you're looking at 2019, excellent success rate on deep routes. Of course, we know that's part of it, but also routes like the flat, the curl, you know, some of those more shorter layup patterns that are going to be important for moving an offense down the field. And, and what I always liked about Fuller too, playing with the Texans before 2020 was he just put defenses in such a bind. This is why I think a, a player like Jalen Waddle is really going to be appealing for folks in the draft. That, Fuller was never that number one receiver because the Texans had DeAndre Hopkins. And it's like, okay, we want to uh, put some extra defensive attention to stopping DeAndre Hopkins, but then you're going to leave Will Fuller on your number two corner uh, exposed there on the other side of the field with no help. You're going to get destroyed. And those, those games where it was Watson Hopkins and and Will Fuller, those guys fired off together. It was real uh, magic, but going back to the 2020 season, which I think is, really, of course, the important part here. This was a player that jumped up uh, huge in terms of success rate versus press. Like the Texans used him as an alpha wide receiver out there as the ISO X guy, basically just put him in DeAndre Hopkins' old spot. And he had the best season of his career. And you can look at that, you know, look at down the route tree as well. Only one route did he fall below the NFL average in terms of success rate. And that was the out route. Everything else, like the Dolphins are getting a complete player and I love that Matt mentions there the progression of Will Fuller's career. Because I went back and watched his All-22 on Game Pass. His rookie season, you see that speed show up a lot too. But there was a lot of screens thrown his ways and quick curls and just quick opportunities for him to get the ball in his hands. And he made plays that way too. And you see him develop through the course of his career from the speed guy at Notre Dame all the way through his career now to what he was last season. Just winning on every route imaginable, plucking the football, making big plays, contributing on the production standpoint with big time stats and numbers and the stress he puts on a defense. And I forgot about that quote there from Matt talking about 
a guy like Jalen Waddle in the draft because that was recorded pre-draft. And now we have both those guys here in tow. So a little bonus clip for you there in terms of Will Fuller. And I want to go ahead and finish up the podcast here with a couple of things. But first with Coach Flores and his media availability on Friday as well. And a player that he talked about in that press conference in Noah Igbenogany because it gave Coach a chance to develop or to kind of elaborate on the development aspect of the franchise of this of this team and where they are in year three under Brian Flores and Chris Greer. And the question was geared specifically about Noah Igbenogany and his role on the defense. And coach elaborated about his development in his rookie season. And, you know, I've talked about Igbo on the podcast a lot in terms of a player that I think has not just shown with his late season tape, the progression that he already has in year one as a, you know, he was the youngest player in the National Football League last year. And we talk about Jerome Baker coming into the NFL at 21 and just stacking good year on top of good year and getting better and better and better. And there's a bunch of, you know, clips of Noah on the social accounts with working out and he looks fantastic. There was a great video of him working out in the offseason with a bunch of NFL defensive backs. And I thought he looked like the biggest and strongest and most physically imposing one of the group, popping the shirt off, running around and just showing off all the hard work that he put in, but also smooth in the footwork and the athletic ability. We've covered that in the podcast here, the son of two Olympians and the hard work he put in throughout the course of his childhood and development and adolescence and coming into college and uh, converting from receiver to cornerback and now getting to the NFL and working on the one position on the perimeter. And here was coach. I'm going to play this long audio for you guys talking about development, Noah Egbenogany playing inside versus outside and plenty of good notes here from coach Flores. You know, GA was, was right. And he played, uh, Noah played pr- predominantly on the perimeter last year. I think that's, and that, that in itself in this league, um, it's not easy. So it was, Sticking in one position, let them learn the techniques, the fundamentals, feel the speed, feel the, uh, you know, quickness of the receivers, you know, go through the different, uh, you know, combinations that happen in different coverages. And once you feel more comfortable in, in, in that specific role, then, um, you know, this year, obviously, we feel like, uh, you know, he's ready to, to move, move and, and, you know, at least take some reps uh, inside. Um, look, versatility is, is, uh, is important you know, to our team. So, um, you know, we're going to move guys around, um, not just Noah, but really everyone, you know, in that corner room and in the, in the secondary, really across the board. Um, but as far as what it takes to, to, to play inside, I think it's um, obviously speed and quickness and ability to tackle. Um, I think those guys who play the nickel position end up, you know, and run fits a little bit more than guys on the perimeter. So uh, just an understanding of, uh, you know, fronts and what's happening in front of you. Um, more opportunity to, to blitz. Um, and then just from a cover standpoint, uh, you, know, you don't have the sideline, so they can go inside, they can go outside. Um, so you don't have that as, a, as an extra defender or, or, or a place you can uh, kind of push the, the receiver to. And uh, it's, it's tough playing in there. You know, there's a, there's a, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. You know, from a mental standpoint, it, it, there's a lot going on as well. So, uh, you know, as many guys as we can, we can, we can uh, get to play inside and play different roles. I think uh, uh, Nick Needham's grown in that role. Uh, Justin Coleman's played that position, you know, in the past, and uh, Jamal Perry as well. So, uh, we're just going to continue to to train guys and uh, help them improve, grow, and I think you know. A lot of times if you you can play inside and you've played outside and you understand what's happening 
as an outside corner to the inside corner. If you have that kind of understanding, you know, when you're making calls and those guys are working together, um, uh, there's a little bit more of a, hey, I know what you're going through. I, I've been in that spot. Uh, you know, and they can kind of, oftentimes it works a little well. It, it works better together. Hat tip there to Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins for the outstanding question because anytime you get a chance to hear Coach really break down football and talk X's and O's and, and talk strategy and development, man, that was a lot of good notes there from Coach Flores. And again, hat tip Kyle Krabs, Locked On Dolphins. Check out his podcast. Does a fantastic job. But he also covered some interesting things there in terms of the depth this Dolphins team has at that position on the inside. I mean, they go out and they sign Justin Coleman, a very accomplished slot cornerback. We talked about Nick Needham's production last year in terms of some of the stats he posted in that area. We've covered Jamal Perry, who does a little bit of everything with special teams. Moonlights is multiple positions in that secondary, but has played that slot, as Coach mentioned there, a fantastic tackler in the second level. And talking about training guys and and getting guys to really build a development plan for players in terms of how they want to get them acclimated, not just to the speed of the game, the professionalism of being an NFL football player, but the recognition of what some of the challenges could be in terms of the mental aspect of the game and and getting comfortable and familiar with what you're not familiar with and the uncomfortable. As Coach mentioned there, all the traits and responsibilities of going from playing outside to moving inside and the impact of playing outside to learn that spot first, to take that experience, then to go inside – I just thought that was great, great insight there from Coach. And I do want to get back to one more quick thing there on the development with Coach here in just one second. But first, let's go ahead and recap the rest of his media availability. He was asked about guard Derval Kieras Neto and what his development has been like. And we had Henry Hodgson on the podcast a while back who talked about how in his relationship with Derval, he knows that he was awarded for some of his practice habits in terms of practice squad player of the season. And coach talked about saying he's one of our hardest working players. It's very important to him that he improves and gets better at whatever technique or fundamental he's working on. He also mentioned the talent, strong, big, fast player that has really all the physical traits you want because we've seen him do the judo and the backflips at that size and just very thickly built. So coach talking about the development of that player. Of course, he talked a little bit about Jerome Baker too and kind of covering the same things he, he did uh, earlier this offseason with how he's excited about how tough and smart and competitive. He's team first, getting better in every area of the game, pass coverage, run defense really across the board, talking about him getting better as a, a studious player of the game as well, like Coach Campanelli mentioned. And then he also talked about Robert Hunt, who said that he saw him improve over the course of the season playing tackle, thinks he has a solid chance to be a good offensive lineman, whether it's tackle or guard whether it's right side or left side said it's hard to say we're going to play our top five guys and I think he's got an opportunity to be one of those top five guys so that's coach Flores's media availability and all the media availability from Friday we're going to have more coming up next week as the Dolphins are back on the practice field Tuesday and Wednesday but I want to go ahead and circle back here to the comment I mentioned there about development and a quote I heard on the move the sticks podcast on my flight down to South Florida and I found this little note interesting here from Bucky Brooks of the Move the Sticks podcast, which came out on Tuesday in reaction to the Julio Jones trade. He had a tidbit where he was talking about measuring veteran experience versus rookies and coaches' comfortability with those younger players. I thought it was interesting here as he talked about, and what I'm trying to get at here is the challenges of coming into the NFL and learning the the element of playbooks and all the responsibilities and the different asks of a young player who doesn't have the experience yet. Here's Bucky Brooks talking about just that. Sometimes though, DJ, and having been in the rooms, we know coaches fall in love with experienced quarterbacks because they can speak the same language. Yeah. They are they have an know, adult conversation. 
you're going to have an adult conversation. Whereas when you, you're thinking about the prospect of dealing with a young quarterback, man, how much do I have to like water down of my system? I may not be able to get to the back pages of the playbook because he doesn't have this experience. And so I just thought that was an interesting soundbite in terms of how young players have a challenge to catch up to the veterans in terms of what they know from the element of the game. We heard, obviously, Ryan Fitzpatrick talk last year about having the 16 years of experience in that catalog in the back of your mind that you can rely upon. That's a Rolodex that you just don't have until you have it and you get it by experience and playing the game and being out there. So interesting comments there. I thought we had plenty of great quotes from coaches and players on the media availabilities here. I wanted to play that sound clip for you guys. Heard that on the plane on the flight down as I was rocking podcast all the way down to South Florida. We're down here now at the stadium, at the facility, getting ready to cover practice for you guys this week. And I just cannot tell you how good it feels to be here, getting ready to watch this Dolphins team hit the field. But the trip down here, it didn't start so great. Kind of a funny story for you guys. So my wife and I went to Seattle. We don't live in Seattle. I've talked about that in the podcast here. We're about a two-hour drive from the Seattle area. And when you fly from a small town like the one we live in, it typically puts you on a plane very first thing in the morning, like 6 o'clock, 5.30 in the morning. And so we wanted to you know, reduce the need to get up at 2.30 a.m. just to make it to the airport and get through security in time to make that flight. So we drove to Seattle with my wife and my daughter and made a little trip up there and some stops along the way because a one-year-old in the car seat, at least ours, does not like that very much. So we made the little trip up there and it was a good time to get some last-minute family time in before we're coming back down to South Florida And we got this two-room suite at this hotel because we wanted to have one space for for Caroline, the baby, and one space for us so that we can kind of separate when we want to go to sleep and when she goes down. And there was this sliding door from the living room into the master slash bathroom area, and we closed that door, and it got jammed. Like, we could not open it. We both tried with all of our might, with as much finesse as we could, and I was at a point where I was about to do office linebacker Terry Tate and run through the thing because some claustrophobia was setting in there for a minute, and we called down to the front desk to say, hey, we're kind of like trapped in our room, and it's a little bit scary, and the guy asks us, is the latch closed on the, on the main door? And that was when real, real panic set in for me because I was like, yeah, it is. How the hell are they going to get through that thing? But they came up after banging on that latch. I don't know how he did it, but because we couldn't see him. Obviously, we're trapped in the back room. He got it open, got in there, and was able to get the slider open and free us from that back space. And it scared the crap out of my daughter. So that made for an interesting night in terms of the sleeping situation. But just a... I suppose a discovery of a fear I didn't know I had being locked in a room against my will. I think most people probably are scared of that, but I got to experience it and didn't know how I would respond. And like I said, I was getting very, very close to lining up off the ball and blitzing the A-gap and blowing up that door so we could get out of the room and I could make my flight in time for the morning. Speaking of that flight, woke up, got ready, got down to the shuttle to go to the airport at 6 a.m., checked my email, and there was an email saying, your flight has been delayed by five hours. So went through that that whole rigmarole, went back to bed, but that never really works, especially with a one-year-old, and then made the six-hour flight across the country. And geez, it was just, I'm ready for this flight to stop being a thing in my life and get down here full-time, which we almost are, my wife and my daughter and I, going to be South Floridians here very, very soon. But what was great about the flight was I was able to get an exit row on one of them, pay for the upgrade like 30 bucks. It's well worth it. You get the extra leg room, and I was able to stretch all the way out. But on those flights, I watched the Bo Burnham inside special once again. And I thought it was better the second time around because there's so many quality 
elements of that special and it's funny, but it's also like makes you think. And I just, you know, as someone who struggles daily with my own complicity in many things, this special really connected with me. And I find myself listening to the songs now on Apple Music, which I would recommend to you guys out there too, because what a genius that guy is. And you can really feel some of his his pain throughout quarantine and throughout COVID in the specials. He records it throughout the course of being stuck in that house in that one room for a year. And I just think it's, it really connects with a lot of the current mood of people, you know, just dealing with what the pandemic was. So I highly recommend that. Watch it twice, watch it three times. Also wanted to give a shout out to Chris LaRondo on Twitter at extortion who recommended uh, Mythic Quest on Apple TV. I watched that on the flight as well. A very funny show. And I, I love Rob McElhenney from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It does a great job on this show as well. So appreciate the shout out and the recommendation. That has been a fun source of entertainment. Want to read a couple of the reviews left over the weekend before we get out of here. Uh, one more here from Mrs. Kim Hawaii, who says thumbs up, fins up. Good Miami Dolphins podcast. Travis is a good host and provides great content. Thank you very much. We got another show recommendation here from VR Knoll, Yellowstone. I haven't seen that, but I've seen plenty of ads for it. So I suppose it's got to be great, especially with your recommendation here. Have to check that one out. Those are the, the two updated reviews we have. Again, leave us a rating, leave us a review. We'll get them to, to them here on the podcast, especially if you have a question for us, we want to answer here on the podcast. All right, we're going to be at practice Tuesday and Wednesday with podcasts covering the days uh, with media availabilities and the practice itself and so much more on those podcasts before we go on vacation. And by vacation, I mean pulling back to two episodes a week. We'll resume the divisional previews, preview the 90-man roster before training camp, and then get back to our daily format in late July when training camp opens. The season is right around the corner. All right, that is going to be our time on this edition of Drive Time. You all, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible Podcast. And of course, last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.